after weeks of dismal news for Democrats from the courts, from the economy, and most of all from public opinion polls, the American left has decided that the best way to turn their bad luck around and salvage the midterm elections is to put a transvestite bureaucrat on television to demand that parents trans their little kids. Gender-affirming care is life-saving, medically necessary, age-appropriate, and a critical tool for healthcare providers. As a pediatrician, when it comes to making sure kids are healthy and happy, I know how important care that affirmed someone's true identity can be. I feel sorry for Richard Levine, that guy. I'm not being facetious when I say that. I truly feel sorry for him. He is obviously a tortured and extremely confused man, and he is being encouraged by powerful people in his delusions. Until recently, I felt sorry for Mr. Levine in the same way that I feel sorry for all sick people. Pure pity. Recently, that has begun to change. I still feel sorry for him, but I am beginning to feel sorry for him in the way that I feel sorry for a criminal. I feel genuine sorrow for criminals, even though they do evil things. I feel sorry for criminals precisely because they do evil things, because they are harming themselves and others and leading bad lives but I also want to stop them from doing what they are doing because they are hurting other people too. Richard Levine is now pretty clearly hurting other people. He is using his position of authority in the federal government to encourage parents to sterilize their little kids and mutilate their bodies and give them all sorts of irreversible injuries just so that he can validate his own disordered sexual desires and delusions. He is encouraging innocent little kids to be permanently disfigured into ghastly caricatures because he doesn't want to accept reality. A sane society would put this man in counseling. An upside down culture puts him in a dress and makes him the assistant secretary for health. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Voyage to the Inner Mind, who says, there was an article explaining that because abortion is becoming illegal, it will decimate the pickup hookup culture. My response, that's perfect. Another win. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's called an added benefit. You know what that's really called? That's called culture is downstream of politics. We all say politics is downstream of culture. There's some truth to that. What we're seeing now is culture being downstream of politics. The court makes a decision. The Congress passes a law. The government does something. And then new and improved, perhaps, cultural behaviors follow. Good stuff. We got to love it. We want people to do the right thing and to be able to flourish and lead good lives. When you want good people to help you flourish, you got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Summer's upon us. We're all traveling. Think about what makes for a great trip. You've got the hotel concierge. You've got the waiter at the restaurant. You got that bartender that you befriend. You know that outstanding talent is crucial for a successful business. Well, if you're hiring, you can find talent for roles such as those and others at ZipRecruiter. When you try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. 
ZipRecruiter uses powerful matching technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. Then you easily review those recommended candidates. You invite your top choices to apply. They've got a complete suite of tools that makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. You know, time is money. It's really, really important to get the top candidates and to do it fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site, according to G2 satisfaction ratings as of January 1st of this year. So travel to this easy-to-remember destination, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That's where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. In an upside-down culture, falsehood is called truth, and evil is called goodness, and ugliness is called beauty. That's what happens. And we, we always focus on the first two. We focus on now how uh, the left tells us that lies are the truth and the truth is lies. We focus on how the left inverts the moral order and says that bad things are good things and good things are bad things. Just as important though, and frankly, even more manifest, more obvious to our senses is that last part. The fact that in an upside down disordered culture, the culture begins to worship ugliness, begins to shun beautiful things and worship ugliness. And that is what is going on in our culture right now. I, I actually proved the point sort of inadvertently yesterday. I, I was reading some article online and a, a picture by Picasso popped up. It was the, the picture, uh, the weeping woman from 1937. And it's one of those sort of first thing your mind goes to Picasso paintings where it's all weird angles and shapes and cubes and all, all this kind of weird jumbly stuff. And I remembered that Picasso was an amazing painter. He actually was an amazing, incredible painter who could paint real great works of beauty. But he did all the really beautiful paintings very early in his life. There's one painting in particular, it's called Science and Charity, that he painted 40 years prior. Or something. I think 1897, 1896, 1897, he was, he was 15 or 16 years old. And he painted this, this pretty beautiful painting. And I asked this question on Twitter. I said, why would a painter who can paint a beautiful painting choose to paint an ugly painting? Why? And it was just a modest question about the development of American art. Not, or, I'm sorry, the development of Western art broadly, though we see this in particular in America. And the libs lost their mind. The libs lost their mind. I am still getting notifications of angry blue check libs screaming at me, calling me a Nazi, saying that it, this is how I'm an idiot, uncultured. This is just the worst vituperation I have seen in response to any tweet. My, it was a simple question. Why would someone who can paint beautiful art paint ugly art? And they lost their minds. And I did have a little bit of a suspicion that they might lose their minds because it's not merely that the left has a slight preference for ugly stuff over beautiful stuff. It's not merely that the left likes kind of weird modern art over traditional beautiful art. It's that the left worships ugliness. They shun beautiful things and they exalt ugly things. It is a cult of ugliness. You see this everywhere throughout the culture. You see this in left-wing fashion. Left-wing fashion is get rid of beautiful stuff wear ugly, weird, disordered stuff. You see this in the way that people treat their bodies. 
When you see leftists protesting, having a mostly peaceful protest, do they usually have their hair done very nicely, <laughs> put, put on a little bit of lipstick? Show, uh, no, usually they're mutilated and they've got all sorts of uh, piercings in places that they shouldn't be and all sorts of uh, excessive tattoos everywhere and insane hair. And they, it's, it's an intentional disfigurement. It's an intentional mutilation of, of what could be beautiful. You see this in left-wing art, obviously. You see this in left-wing architecture. The radical modern architecture, it's never beautiful. It's always just weird. It's weird and ugly and disfigured. Why is that? Why is that? It's, be, it's because these things go together. Because goodness, truth, and beauty go together. They're the transcendentals, okay? If, you, if you're attracted to one, if you like one and you're pursuing one, you're probably going to pursue the other two as well. And the inverse is also true. If you're living in a, lies, in a, in a life and in a culture mired in lies, and an inversion of the moral order, it's also going to be ugly too. You see it in advertising now, especially in left-wing advertising, they've gotten rid of all the beautiful models and they replace them with ugly models, intentionally ugly models. You see this, you see this throughout the culture. And if you call them out for it, they call you a Nazi. They call, and the argument for, for this is they say, well, the Nazis also didn't like bad art. You say, well, okay. I mean, Stalin didn't like bad art. He was a communist. And uh, actually, the guy who wrote the book on this very question, who shunned the, the crappy modern art and liked good, beautiful, traditional art, is Max Nordau, who is not only not a Nazi, but he was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, but he was one of the leaders of worldwide uh, global Zionism. So I don't think, I don't, is that guy a Nazi? No, well, but, but some Nazi said, well, Hitler drank water. No, we're, we're making a point about art here. And the very fact that people, re, that the left reacts in this way, two beautiful things. They tear down beautiful statues. They, they close up beautiful works of art. And they replace it with ugliness. That's not good. It's just, it's just a good signpost to know, okay, we're dealing with a radical leftist inverted culture. You take men who might look perfectly fine as men, you dress them up as caricatures of women. Not real women, but caricatures. Think of drag queens, Okay and vice versa. Now, speaking of stupid art, I saw the dumbest political cartoon I think I've ever seen in my whole life in the Washington Post. This was a cartoon by Anne Telnez, and it was based on this Supreme Court decision in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District that just came out. This is about the coach praying privately on the field after the game and said, if you're okay with this, it's the coach praying to God on the 50-yard line, you should be okay with this. And it was a pentagram surrounded by candles in some sort of black mass on the high school football field. To which I would respond, uh, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> no, those are not the same. <laughs> having a private prayer to God is not the same as uh, having a satanic ritual on a football field. And the reason they're not the same is not even just procedural. It's because uh, God and the devil are different. <laughs> Those are different things. <laughs> if you pray to God, right, you, you, it does not necessarily follow that you uh, would support worshiping the devil. Actually, the opposite would follow because it's not merely the form of things that matters, but it's the content of things that matters too. And actually, uh, if we have a culture that does worship God, then a lot of other things are going to follow. We're going to uh, support a more traditional moral order, more traditional behavior, more traditional standards of beauty and decency and, and behavior. 
those things are all going to follow. It's not, it's not merely the opposite. It's not anything goes. Okay. This, you, you, you can't, you can't simultaneously have all of these things. You can't have a culture that worships God and the devil simultaneously. You can't have a culture that says that a man is a man and a culture that says a man is a woman simultaneously. You can't have a culture that does opposite things simultaneously. You've got to make a decision. The question is, what, what kind of culture do you want to be? You want to be the beautiful culture or do you want to be the ugly, disordered, disfigured culture? Me, if you ask me, I want the former. Well, we can talk about it. When you want to talk about it, we got to go check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles Podcast. I love Pure Talk for multiple reasons. One, I have Pure Talk. I'm a Pure Talk customer. I love my phone. I love my service. It is the top rated service in the country. So it's absolutely fabulous. You're not going to drop calls. You're not going to miss messages, things like that. But the other reason that I absolutely love Pure Talk is that they support the voice mailbag on this show. These guys are the reason that I get to hear from you in the voice mailbag. And so you got to go switch right now. You're getting pinched right now. The economy is in shambles and you're still probably paying 80 bucks a month, maybe more 90 bucks a month for your cell service. Don't do that. You can get all the talk you want, all the text you want, and plenty of data for 30 bucks a month. No price increases there. No, nothing. Okay. And you get an extremely strong 5G network. It's just great. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles Podcast. You can actually save 50% off your first month right now. Switching over to Pure Talk takes less than 10 minutes. I'm not joking. Less than 10 minutes. Enter code Knowles Podcast, K-N-O-W-L-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all one word, at puretalk.com. Speaking of God and providence, there's, there's one last little coda to the Dobbs story, the, the decision that overruled Roe v. Wade that I have to get to. I mentioned that there were some strange coincidences on the day of the Dobbs decision. The day the decision came down to end the quote-unquote constitutional right to abortion after 49 years that will save hundreds of thousands of babies per year and give a path to potentially abolishing abortion throughout the country. The day that that happened was the feast of the sacred heart of Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, you might say, wow, that's quite a coincidence. The day that that happened, also traditionally, the feast of the nativity of St. John the Baptist, who in the gospel leaps in his mother's womb when Christ in his mother's womb approaches him. This is one of the clearest gospel examples of the prohibition against abortion. Do you see the, the little baby, little baby John the Baptist is leaping in the mother's womb and dancing because his savior, also a little fetus, is, is near him. That's, that's quite a coincidence too. And then I saw on CNN the night before there was a report that, that on the 24th, on the day of the Dobbs decision, there was going to be a rare alignment of five planets. The stars, the planets are aligning on this particular day. I said, wow, that's kind of a weird coincidence. And then a listener pointed this out to me in the article in the article on space.com with the photo that everyone is posting about this planet alignment. The the photograph was taken by Wright Dobbs. Just a little, I'm I'm not asking you to follow me like a beautiful mind and I'm making all the connections here on some whiteboard or something. Just pointing out that's, that's quite a coincidence. That's a nice little coincidence. Uh, my priest who, who wrote a book on coincidences, Father George Rutler, he pointed out that uh, it's, a, it's an evil generation that looks for signs and wonders, but it's a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders. 
And sometimes you see these little signs, these little coincidences in your life. And I consider them, I don't look always for the deeper meaning and what does this mean and what does this mean for how I should behave tomorrow. And what, I, I just look at it as a little wink of providence, a little wink of, oh, hey, don't forget, there's an order here. There is a logic to the universe. Things are unfolding in a way that has logic to it. So just a nice little wink. It makes you, it, it, it gives one comfort. Not because it, it tells you how to predict the future. Not supposed to do that. Not because it gives you some secret leg up on the other people who don't know how to interpret the signs. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's just to remind you, there is a God. There is an order. There is providence. That's a good thing. That's a good, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a nice little consolation to have in the world. Speaking of the Dobbs decision, uh, MSNBC is still rending its garments and gnashing its teeth over the Dobbs decision. And now they're beginning to set the stage for attacks on the Supreme Court. You've got Joe Scarborough, who is the fake Republican, one of the fake Republicans on MSNBC. Though these days, I don't know if he would even call himself a Republican. He was a Republican congressman many moons ago, and now he's a liberal commentator on MSNBC. Uh, he went so far as to say that the Dobbs decision constitutes violence. It wasn't just the holding uh, taking away a fundamental right over the past 50 years. They found the tone to be confrontational. And anyone who has followed the Supreme Court, anyone who has read constitutional law, knows that most justices, especially in landmark decisions, bend over backwards to explain how right. this is not a radical so move. This is, this right. is, we are moving forward and we're moving in the direction uh, that this country has been moving in and we understand their problems, but this is, and they'll round off some of the harsher edges. They will give something to their opponents, uh, their, their, their legal or ideological opponents. There was none of that there. I, I've got to say more than any Supreme Court decision I've ever read uh, it. It it was uh, even the language. There was a violence to the reasoning. We win, you lose. Yeah, we're taking away these rights, and there's nothing you can do about it. What is Joe Scarborough talking about? Forget what he's saying about Dobbs for a second. Just historically, I. I don't know what he's talking about. He's saying that in landmark decisions that can reverse major other decisions, usually they're really modest and moderate and gracious and find some middle ground. What are you talking about? Think about Brown versus Board of Education. Brown v. Board of Education reverses Plessy v. Ferguson and uh, says no separate but equal. Is, it's, not, it's not really going to work. It's not actually equal. And so we're going to get rid of it. This is a decision that everybody supports now. Does does Joe Scarborough believed that that should have been a more modest decision. Well, maybe maybe we're only going to integrate some bathrooms. <laughs> well, maybe listen, we're we're going to integrate some water fountains, but not others because we're going to be really great. No, of course nobody would suggest that. That would be insane. You're if it's a landmark decision, you are making a claim. You are making a big claim, and it's going to have big effects. How about some of the bad decisions? How about some? How about Roe v. Wade? Was Roe v. Wade, uh, was certainly a landmark decision, was that really gracious and soft and conciliatory to the other side? No, it, it resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of babies a year immediately and pretended that there is a constitutional right to an abortion when there isn't one. That, if there's ever a violent decision, that's the one. That's the most violent decision ever in the history of the judiciary. How about Obergefell? 
Obergefell, which redefines marriage for the first time in human history, away from what it had broadly always been, into something completely different. Was that a conciliatory, modest, gracious decision? Of course not. That was a spiking the football. For goodness sakes, Anthony Kennedy in that said that at the heart of liberty lies a right to intimacy, a right to intimacy. And then he starts waxing poetic about how marriage really, when you really think about it, you know, isn't what people always thought it was, but it's actually a, a union between two dudes and two chicks as well. Because I don't know, because that's what Anthony Kennedy thinks. Do you think that was conciliatory? No, of course not. Of course not. And in this case, this decision was not particularly conciliatory either, because it was saying, look, there's, there is no constitutional right to an abortion, and there's no way to, pardon the phrase, split the baby here, <laughs> okay? Either there is a constitutional right to an abortion, or there isn't. There isn't one. Therefore, it's going back to the states, it's going back to the people, and you guys can deal with it. Fairly conciliatory in the sense that the people get to make their own decisions in California if they want to have 17th trimester abortions, that I guess they can have them now, at least for the time being. But no, you, there's no middle ground here. And, and Joe Scarborough and the rest of the liberals are just really upset that the court is, is not going to enshrine some fake right to kill babies anymore. And so he calls it violent. He calls not killing babies violent. And he is calling it violent to justify attacks on the court. It's the same reason that the left calls language that they don't like violent. They say when a conservative shows up to a college campus, that constitutes an act of violence. The reason they say that is to justify their own actual acts of violence, their own physical violence on the speakers, which happens with regularity. It's happened to me. It's happened to a great number of other conservative speakers on college campuses. Speaking of dumb takes on the Dobbs decision, have to get to Whoopi Goldberg's Whoopi Goldberg on The View discussing uh, Clarence Thomas's concurrence, which I'm sure she hasn't read, to the majority opinion, which again, I'm sure she hasn't read, for the case that I'm sure she doesn't understand, and why Clarence Thomas was so dumb to side with the conservatives. Well, you better hope that they don't come for you, Clarence, and say you should not be married to your wife, who happens to be white, because they will move back. And you better hope That's that nobody sex. says, you know, well, you're not in the Constitution. You're back to being a quarter We're of back a person. Because that's not going to work either. What? <laughs> what does any of that mean? First word, she says, she says, Clarence, Clarence, you better hope that they don't come after you next. Who is they here? The they to whom you are referring is Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is the one who knocks, okay? <laughs> Clarence Thomas is the one who issues these decisions. And no, no one's coming after Clarence Thomas or, or going to try to get him to divorce his wife, other than the libs, because the libs hate his wife, Ginny, because she's an effective conservative activist. And then she says, what? Now, pretty soon, they're going to make you a quarter of a person again. Are you, is, is Whoopi referring to the three-fifths compromise? Not the one-quarter of a person, the three-fifths compromise in the Constitution that said for purposes of representation in the federal government, uh, enslaved portions of the population will be counted by three-fifths? Is that, does she understand even what that was? It doesn't mean that black people were three-fifths of a person. Actually, it was the slave states that wanted to count the black people as whole people, and it was the free states that wanted to count black people as no people, not because the slave states really liked the black people and the free states didn't like the black people, but sort of the opposite in many ways, because the slave states wanted greater representation in the federal government 
in part because it would enshrine slavery, and the free states didn't want that. The, we could go on and on. The, the, the misunderstanding of the three-fifths compromise, or in Whoopi's words, the one-quarter compromise, is, is one of the most irksome and frivolous uh, aspects of ignorance in, in our culture today. But the real issue here, I mean, one, this is why the left attacked civics class, but, but two, American self-government is not possible. It's nearly impossible with this level of ignorance among the elite not even among the people broadly, but among the elite. Whoopi Goldberg is on television on a network public affairs show, on a show where, where they discuss political issues almost exclusively in an ignorant way, in a, in a destructive way. But the fact that she doesn't have any idea what she's talking about, even about the most basic aspects of the Constitution, is a real threat. Because if, if this is the basis for our political discourse, then we're, we're not even speaking language anymore. Or not, not only is it sort of ugly and a little bit, a little bit off kilter, it's completely incoherent. And if it's incoherent, we can't govern ourselves. You know, we could not wait until the 4th of July. We could not. So we are lighting the fireworks early with Backstage Live at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee, USA, baby. You can catch the show in all its glory on our live stream at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. Go to Daily Wire dot com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Save a huge amount of money. I'm not even going to tell you how much. Save a lot of money when you subscribe today. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. Here's a look at last year's event. Welcome to the Daily Wire backstage live at the famous Ryman Auditorium. It was amazing. We were in the presence of greatness. The energy of having everyone on the same page was amazing. If your family member is still waiting for Fauci to give them permission, to leave their house, it might be time to cut that off. <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited to meet all of them. I love everybody's opinion individually. I don't have a favorite, I like them all. I had found out a way to make football players cry in high school. My high school experience would be a lot. <laughs> I'm just excited to be here and be surrounded by like-minded people and to just, you know, feel that energy. Who should we remove from office? Yeah, you One politician, you the most powerful politician in the country. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, <laughs> Dr. Fauci, what are you talking about? We're doing culture here. I'm so thrilled to see this happening. If they say to half of the country, you can't, that half of the country needs to say, screw you, we will. We hope that you will be able to join us today and, and uh, help us to fight this battle more than we already have. You know, we've gotten a ton of wins recently, so make sure that uh, you tune in and uh, continue that fight. We got a lot more stuff planned. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. Get, okay, I'll tell you, it's 25% off your new membership. As exciting as the last year has been, we are just getting started. Tune in tonight, live at the Ryman. Find out what is next, 8 p.m. Eastern, you can watch it at dailywire.com. You can watch it at dailywire.com slash rhyme, and you can subscribe at dailywire.com slash Knowles. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the show. Speaking of our elite, Elaine Maxwell, the business associate, paramour, and madam for Jeffrey Epstein, has just been sentenced to 20 years in prison. But I got to tell you what, something tells me she's not going to serve her entire term, her entire sentence. No, I, I don't think that Ghislaine Maxwell is going to be in prison for 20 years. I think she's probably, I, I think it's going to be shorter. And I don't think it's going to be shorter because of parole, unless parole is the new nickname that we're giving to Hillary Clinton. I don't think so. 
I think that, uh, you know, you're going to see a FedEx truck pull up. You're going to see some kind of shadowy figure in a, in a nice purple pantsuit with Groucho glasses on and a big thick mustache walking in there, kind of bulging at the hips. And then the cameras are going to go out and then the guards are going to fall asleep. And then it's just me and you, Ghislaine. It's, that's, that's right. It's old hill dog again. You thought you were through with me, Ghislaine? I don't think so. Uh-uh. No, Hillary, no, please. Hillary, I'll do anything. That's, no, I'm, I'm possibly joking. I'm not quite sure. But I don't think she's going to serve her whole term. Uh, they already put her on suicide watch, even though her attorney says she is not suicidal. Another psychologist who examined her said she is not suicidal. Uh, that's, that's ominous that they would put her on suicide watch already. Maybe she makes it. I don't know that she'll be assassinated or kill herself or whatever. Uh, but the, the entire process has been really, really weird. All the way b- back to the first prosecution and investigation of Jeffrey Epstein, where he got this ridiculous sweetheart deal down in Palm Beach because the U.S. attorney heard from his higher-ups that Epstein belonged to intelligence. That's the that's the uh, testimony of Alex Acosta when he was up for labor secretary, but he had been U.S. attorney down there in Florida. Uh, then uh, Epstein basically was just checking in at the, at the county jail in Palm Beach, and then he was going about living his life perfectly fine. Then he, finally, there was too much of a media storm. He does get arrested, and he winds up dead in prison because just all those cameras malfunction and the lights and the guards and whoopsie-daisy, what, what can you say? That's too bad. Th- these people who have the... Uh, blackmail, the extremist form of blackmail on the most powerful people in the world. Then all of a sudden you get the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell, and yet we haven't seen very much from the trial. We haven't heard very much from the trial. And most importantly, we don't know who's in the book. That's all I care about. I don't care if Ghislaine Maxwell serves her sentence. I don't, I don't really care about Ghislaine Maxwell at all. I don't really care about Jeffrey Epstein at all. I want to know about the operation. I want to know who was funding the operation? Jeffrey Epstein had a lot of money and no one really seems able to, to explain where the money came from. Were there other backers? Were there other private backers? Were there state backers? What does it mean that he belonged to intelligence? That's kind of weird. And then here's what I really want to know before Ghislaine puts on the orange jumpsuit and waits for Hillary to come and knock it. Who's in the book? Who's in the book? Who are the clients? Who went, who was going to the island what did they do? When did they go? How many times were they on the airplane? That's what I want to know. And yet that's the only information we can't seem to find. And everybody seems in on it. The federal investigators, the prosecutors, the everybody seemed, the media for that matter. Why don't we know who is in that book? We got her. We got her. She's in the orange jumpsuit. She's just been sentenced. Why are they closing the book? Why is there some sweetheart deal here that keeps all of these clients out of the media spotlight. It, it, the reason, I, I'm making some jokes about Hillary Clinton here, the reason that people are making those jokes and not jokes is because we don't have any trust in the elite because this case in particular and so many others are so obviously crooked and corrupt. That's why, because we don't think that we can believe the federal government. We don't think that we can believe the justice system. We don't, we don't have any respect for these shadowy elites and not so shadowy elites, fairly public figures who were showing up to the island getting weird massages from the little girls. That's why. And this is why, because we don't have respect for these institutions anymore, because they've squandered their credibility, 
we're all expecting Ghislaine Maxwell to, to be suicided. How, how many of you out there you're thinking right now, you're listening to this show, if Ghislaine Maxwell turned up dead tomorrow, one, would you be surprised? Two, do you think she would have killed herself? I bet the majority of people would say, yeah, she might turn up dead. And no, I don't think it would. I think she would be assassinated. There was the weird death of John McAfee, the eccentric libertarian uh, gazillionaire behind the, the software bearing his own name. Remember, he said, I'm not, I'm not suicidal. I'm not going to kill myself. People are trying to kill me. I might wind up dead in a prison. And what happened? He wound up dead in a prison. He even had a tattoo that said whacked. Jeffrey Epstein. No one thinks that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Very few people do. Why do we think this stuff happens? There have been weird cases. There's one case, I don't know if you've seen this, it's gotten a little bit of reporting in the mainstream media, but it's a strange one, the case of Michael Hastings. You ever hear about this one? This was a few years ago now. Uh, Michael Hastings was a journalist who was working on some stories about the deep state, about the alphabet letter agencies and the, the uh, secret workings of the federal government at home and abroad. And he began to think that he was being tracked and he began to think that he was being surveilled and he began to think that people were coming after him. And then he wound up dead of a really weird car crash. And it, it, the, this car crash didn't just raise the eyebrows of the tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist kooks. It raised the eyebrows of very well-respected and credentialed national security officials. The former U.S. National Coordinator for Security, Infrastructure, Protection, and Counterterrorism, Richard Clark, said that what is known about the crash is, quote, consistent with a car cyber attack. He was quoted as saying, there is reason to believe that intelligence agencies for major powers, including the United States, know how to remotely seize control of a car. So if there were a cyber attack on Hastings' car, and I'm not saying there was, I think whoever did it would probably get away with it. That's kind of spooky stuff that the governments could do that and that people believe that they would have done that. Now, other people around this journalist, Michael Hastings, said, well, he was being erratic. He, was, he, he had other problems. I don't know. Maybe he did just kill himself. Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't, I don't know very much about this case at all. That, that's actually sort of the, whether he was assassinated or not is almost beside the point. The, the, the more important point for all of us is the erosion of trust that we have in our established institutions. We think that these, these institutions could do these kinds of things. And so we allow Jeffrey Epstein died. Okay, well, he didn't kill himself. Oh, Ghislaine Maxwell's on suicide watch. Here we go. Set your clocks. Here we go. That, that speaks to a corrupt elite, an elite that is now so mired in lies and wickedness and ugliness and all the stuff that we don't want in society that the society has become unrecognizable. And they wield a lot of power. You want to talk about corrupt elites? There are two really great attorneys, really good, top quality attorneys who just won a major victory for the Second Amendment at the Supreme Court. I'm talking about the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, the Bruin case, the case that said that New Yorkers do in fact have a right to keep and bear arms. So they go up there, they make the case to the Supreme Court, and they win. This is a landmark victory in a well-ordered, just, good society these guys would get a promotion. The, the lawyers, Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, would have corner offices right now, bigger, even bigger, better offices. They'd probably get a little bonus. What actually happened? They both got fired. They both got fired from their law firm. I think they were at Kirkland and Ellis because the firm came to them and said, hey, yeah, you can't be defending the Second Amendment. That's very politically incorrect. 
So, oh, that's great. That's cool that you're winning this case. Uh, that's great. Wow, what a big victory for the Constitution, and you're going to go down in history because of this. But yeah, you got to pack up your desks. Here are, here are a couple boxes. Pack up your desks. Get out of here. You're done. Which makes me think, DW should really hire these people, you know? New in-house counsel, Paul Clement. Yes. Here we go, baby. We, we uncanceled Gina Carano. We're going to uncancel Paul. We're going to uncancel Aaron. That's right. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to have Supreme Court litigators who win historic cases. We're going to have them as our in-house counsel. I, I wish. I don't, I don't, I think probably these two lawyers have other, other things going on. They'll probably just start their own practice, but it would be funny. It would be great. I would really, really enjoy that. Speaking of losing jobs, the Washington Post uh, abortion reporter is reporting on a proposal from Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is very concerned that Planned Parenthood employees are going to lose their jobs because now there is no recognized constitutional right to an abortion. There never was a right to an abortion, but it's not even recognized anymore. And so these Planned Parenthoods are probably going to have to close down. Liz Warren suggests opening up Planned Parenthoods in national parks. You know, you're walking through Yellowstone or something and you, you, just, you, know, you see a nice little old saloon and then ye old abortion mill right next to it in a log cabin. She says they could put up tents, have trained personnel, be there to help people who need it. It's time to declare a national emergency, a national emergency. Not enough babies are being killed. This is an emergency. If we, if we don't declare an emergency soon, some of them might be born. So, okay, gosh, what'll we do? Well, the states, a lot of states don't want abortion and abortion is not protected by the constitution, obviously. And so, okay, let's take over the parks. Let's take over anything, anything to kill the babies. This woman, you'll recall when that Supreme Court decision for Dobbs leaked, she lost her mind, held an impromptu press conference, walking to her car with the fire of a thousand suns burning behind her eyes. I am angry. Angry and upset. Angry and upset and determined. The United States Congress can keep Roe versus Wade, the law of the land. They just need to do it. I, I've never seen you so angry. You seem to be. This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting, carefully cultivating these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. 69% of people across this country, across this country, red states and blue states, old people and young people, want Roe versus Wade to maintain you as the law of the children land. In the womb, we need to we, do no, that. We are not and going we to have a right. We need to kill the babies. <laughs> she seems so unhinged in this video. This is an issue that is not the top priority for the vast majority of Americans. Just 15% of Americans consider abortion to be the top priority. And yet the Dems for some reason, and by the way, for that 15% of Americans, half of them are pro-life, right? Half, seven and a half percent roughly of those Americans who consider it the top priority are pro-lifers who want to get rid of abortion around the country. So what are we talking about? Seven, eight percent of Americans consider killing babies and, and the, the desire to kill babies to be the top priority. And yet Liz Warren doesn't get this animated on the economy. She doesn't get this animated on energy. She doesn't get this animated on national security. She gets this animated only on abortion. It's demonic. 
Just call it like it is. It seems demonic. I'm not saying the woman is actually possessed by demons. I don't know. I'm not. It's beyond my pay grade. But she certainly seems like it in that video. We have to. It's an emergency. They're going to take my babies from me. I've got to get them before they get away and live. It's really, really weird and evil and ugly. It's ugly. I'm not saying Elizabeth Warren is an ugly woman physically. I don't think she is necessarily. She has those high cheekbones that she pointed to to prove that she's a Native American. She's not a physically ugly woman necessarily, but she becomes very ugly when she descends into this craziness and radicalism. It's true of all of these protesters. I mean, it ties right back into the point on uh, Picasso and why the libs just lose their mind. Who cares? Who cares about Picasso? Who cares about, forget Picasso for a second, who cares about these questions of art history and the development of art, the, I mean, I care in that I want to have a beautiful society, but I'm not, I don't have steam coming out of my ears. The libs do. The libs have steam coming out of their ears to defend things that are really ugly and disordered. That's the scheme because they've got a nice ordered society that they come into, a nice flourishing society. And then radicalism, leftism says, hey, we're going we're gonna to mess everything up. We're going to move everything around. Kind of like a Picasso painting. We're going to move this eyeball over here. <laughs> We're going to move this ear where the ear should be. We're going to put it down on his kneecap. And we're just going to move and jumble everything around. We're going to engage in what Marx called the ruthless criticism of everything that exists. It's very, very ugly. It leads to an ugly society. You see these protesters. They're covering themselves in fake blood. And they've got little baby dolls. And they're screeching and screaming. You know that lady, when Trump won, even beyond the abortion issue, when Trump won in 2016, she's there screaming, no! You know, and their faces contort. There was a, a gal who showed up to one of our speeches years ago, and, and, and she just started screaming and shaking and yelling in the audience. It's very, it's an, it's an ugly thing to do. And if you are the one doing it, if you, or if you are on the side of the people who are doing that, maybe rethink what you're up to. M- morality and, and uh, uh, traditional moral maxims are a good guide here biology is a good guide. You know, if, you, if your side is saying that men are secretly women, you're probably on the wrong side. But beauty, beauty is a good guidepost too here. If you are on the side that consistently promotes hideous things throughout the culture, you're probably on the wrong side. Speaking of women who will never be president, <laughs> unless Joe Biden's ticker goes, in a way I'm hoping that Joe Biden sticks around. But Kamala Harris right now uh, was was asked about the various plans to enshrine abortion after the Supreme Court gets rid of it. The White House appears to be rejecting Elizabeth Warren's idea to take over beautiful national parks and use them as sites to make sacrifices to Moloch and Baal. Uh, But they're trying to come up with other solutions. One question that Kamala Harris was asked is, uh, should federal tax dollars be used to fund the travel of people in pro-life states to go to states where they can kill their children. In the way that that private companies right now are offering an insurance policy to pay for the travel of women who, let's say they live in Tennessee, but they want to kill their baby, they, they can fly to California and they'll have a portion of their travel expenses covered. Kamala Harris was asked if the same could be done with taxpayer dollars. What about the idea of financial resources, mm-hmm. some form of voucher for travel, child care services, other forms of support for people, yeah. for women seeking abortions 
in states where it's not legal, right. but they just don't have the means to go elsewhere. I think you're asking a, a very important point, making a very important point, which is what are the details that are going to go into ensuring that women have the ability to actually uh, travel um, without impairment. And we know that on this issue, women who have access to resources will probably be far less impacted by this decision than women who don't have resources. So this is something that we are looking at. This is something that we are looking at here and we're going to look at it and we're going to, and I'm so glad it was a really great question. I love great questions. And so it's really good that you asked the question and we can look with our eyes at it, the thing that you asked me about. She doesn't give an answer. <laughs> she doesn't give an answer because she knows there is no federal right to an abortion. And so there is no argument for the federal government paying people to go get an abortion. That would appear to be over. That would appear to be a huge stretch. The libs lost this issue. They're going to try to fight it tooth and nail. They're going to try to break the rules. They're going to do everything they can to try to recreate some license to kill your babies. But she's got, she's got no answer for it. Even, even a more articulate vice president or member of the administration would not have an answer for it either. The relatively prudent libs understand that they have lost on this issue. Even, even Joe Biden, this was, this, I'll give him credit, even though I don't think he deserves total credit, I will give him credit. When the Dobbs decision came down, Joe Biden did not call for violence and take to the streets and get up in their faces and go where their children sleep. Joe Biden said, you got to remain peaceful. I call on everyone, no matter how deeply they care about this decision, to keep all protests peaceful. Peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. No intimidation. Violence is never acceptable. Threats and intimidation are not speech. We must stand against violence in any form, regardless of your rationale. I'm glad he said this. I'll give him credit for saying this. I hope it's sincere. I don't know that it's sincere, but I'll at least give him credit for saying it. I don't think the reason he said it is because it's sincere. I don't think Joe Biden really has a ton of sincere beliefs, and he has used rhetoric that is extraordinarily irresponsible throughout his entire political career. Don't forget when he was running for a vice president, he said that Mitt Romney wants to put black people back in chains, okay? This is a guy who called the president of the United States a racist on TV, he smeared some kid as a white supremacist with absolutely no evidence, and then the kid was exonerated in court. This is a guy who is willing to be fast and loose with his language. So I, this is a guy whose staff members fundraised for the BLM rioters during the, the summer of love with the mostly peaceful arson and murder. Okay, this is a guy who chose as a vice president a woman who herself raised money for the rioters. So I, I, I just don't think it's sincere. Some people say, well, look, Joe Biden, down at the bottom of his heart, he's actually a good guy. I don't think he's a good guy. I think he's a nasty, nasty man and a political opportunist. And I, I actually think opportunism explains why he made this statement. I think this is the best he can do right now. I think this is the absolute best Joe Biden can do. I think this plays very well for him. I think he knows that coming out and being old, nice Uncle Joe, and come on, let's be peaceful, folks. That's, that's part of why he became president. It's why he, part of why he got the nomination is to be a nice, normal guy that screeching and screaming and saying, burn it down, doesn't play very well in Peoria, particularly at this political moment in this midterm election year. So I think he's doing it 
out of convenience and opportunism because the left has overplayed its hand. Before we go, there's a, a story that just broke from Chris Rufo, who's done a great job covering critical race theory and some of the, the ways that the libs are trying to groom our children. Uh, there's a, a show coming out from Disney called Baymax, apparently. I'm not totally familiar with it. And in the new Baymax show, which is accessible to really, really little kids, what, four years old, maybe even younger, in the show, the, the robot character is going shopping for tampons and asks the women around him what tampons he should use. And he gets an answer from someone who looks like a man, but is obviously not a man because he uses tampons. He's a, he's a transgender. He's a woman pretending to be a man. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um, well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get them scented and bleach-free if you can. Thank you. Yo, my daughter loves these. Thank you. These might be easier if it's her first period. Thank these you. are really environmentally friendly. And the way you know not to put too fine a point on it, but the, the way you know that Disney is really hitting it on the nose here is the dude with the tampons is wearing a transgender flag shirt. This is, this is artwork that is being intentionally peddled to really, really little kids, where Disney executives have appeared on camera themselves and said they are peddling the not-so-secret gay agenda. <laughs> right? they're, they're actively pushing this stuff on kids. It's disordered. It's bizarre. It's wrong. It's also... Is this good art to you? Do you think this is good? Do you think good art is really pedantic and didactic and talks about menstruation for little tiny children and has weird, creepy, uh, marshmallowy, freaky nightmare cartoon robots next to transgender dude chicks? I don't know. I don't think that's good art. What would you rather have your kid watch? This or Beauty and the Beast? This or Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? I'm not saying that art shouldn't take up challenging topics. Of course it should. One of my favorite painters in history is Caravaggio. The guy is pretty hardcore, okay? He presents very uh, difficult topics, but in a way that is beautiful, ordered toward the good, that is edifying, not that is creepy and contrary to reality and pretends that men are secretly actually women and tries to groom the little kids. This, the art really matters here, folks. We, can, we, we definitely want to own the libs with facts and logic. We can totally do that. We definitely need to focus on arguing from a real moral order that we can know something about the difference between good and evil. If we don't know that, we can't have self-government. But it's also important to focus on beauty, that third transcendental there. It's a good guidepost. And if we want people to be conservative, if we want people to love their country, we need to give them a country that is lovable, that is beautiful, a place where they want to be. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022.
Today on the Matt Wall Show, Disney ramps up its efforts to trans our children with a new children's show featuring an appearance by a menstruating man. Also, the January 6th hearings continue and will never stop for all eternity. Plus, AOC unveils the new plan for evading the Supreme Court's Roe decision. And a 29-year-old father of three beats a 13-year-old girl in a women's skateboarding competition. And that's not even the most absurd part of this story. Wait until you hear the rest. All of that and more today on the Matt Wall Show.